Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host, and today I have a lovely guest from the United Kingdom. Her name is Hannah Studley. She had a very successful career in Hollywood, including an Academy Award. She is also a published author of two books, The Myth of Low Self-Esteem, a novel about trauma, Hollywood, and healing, and her second book, Painless, a novel about chronic pain and the mind-body connection. Now, she's going to share with us how she lived with and struggled with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, due to experiencing three violent attacks years ago, and what that those types of trauma had on her and her life. So grab that cup of coffee, folks, sit back, relax, and let's give a listen. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host, and I have the pleasure and the honor of having with me today, Hannah Studley from the United Kingdom. She is an educator and she has recovered from severe PTSD and injuries after three separate violent attacks in the 1980s. By exploring the nature of thought, she is trained as a counselor with Manchester Women in Crisis Center and has been working with people in all areas of mental health for 30 years. Hannah is a certified life coach and three principles practitioner. She's also a proud member of the United Hatsala Psychotrauma and Crisis Unit and a World Health Organization Psychological First Responder. She is also an author of two books, and I'm going to let her explain uh, what those books are about and where they came from, because I'm excited myself to learn a lot more about both of them. So welcome, welcome, Hannah. Thanks so much for joining me on Let Fear Bounce. Kim, thank you so much for asking me. It's a real honor to be here. Um, yeah, so thank you for, for the introduction. Um, actually, the, the two books came about because people kept saying to me, you've had this interesting life. When are you going to write a book? And some people would say that to me because they knew about the trauma that I'd been through. And some people would say to it to me because they knew about my Hollywood experience. I worked in Hollywood for about 20 years, working on big um, movies, doing special effects. And then I've also lived in three different continents. I live in Israel now, I'm speaking to you from Jerusalem. And so um, people said, you should write about that. So I thought, okay, I will. And and I was, it was probably one of the scariest things I've ever done. And I've been through some scary things in my life, but writing and letting other people see it was was like the vulnerability was, oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, I hadn't written anything since I was in high school. Um, so the first book was really, it's not an autobiography, but I, I would estimate about 80% of it is, is true. And it's, it's, it's about a girl called Deborah. She's kind of like my alter ego. And she goes through these three violent attacks, like you mentioned in the introduction. I, I grew up in England and uh, I was mugged twice in Manchester. Um, the first one, my skull was fractured um, in a nightclub when some guy wanted to dance with me. And when I said no, he smashed my head into a concrete pillar. The second one, I was mugged by three men who I I was walking at six o'clock in the evening. They kind of jumped out of the dark, slammed me on the ground, beat the living daylights out of me, left me for dead. I thought I was going to die. And um, I I, so I moved down to London after I got kind of got well from that one. And I was in London probably like a year and I got mugged again. And this time a 16 year old boy threw a bicycle at my head whilst I was riding home from from work um, that night and, and broke my neck. 
Now, I didn't, thank God the spinal cord wasn't damaged, it might be bruised at the time, but it was C2 and C3, which are the top um, uh, vertebrae below your skull, were cracked through. And I didn't even know that for two years, I struggled and struggled. You know, PTSD was only just going in the DSM at that time, you know, the, the, the Directory of um, Psychological Illnesses. And uh, so I, I never got any treatment, I never got any help. And I got very sick and very, very, um, very dark places in my thinking. Mm -hmm. And I finally asked for help. And that's kind of what the book is about. It's about coming out of that darkness. And um, I finally asked for help. And the woman who I um, turned to the, the first time, she asked me if I was willing to let go of my story, at which point I was very offended because I, because <laughs> what I heard and what she said were kind of two different things. What I heard her saying was, you know, it didn't happen. It didn't hurt or get over it. And I'm like screaming in my head, but it did happen. It did hurt and I can't get over it. Right. So she showed me that, um, that the story that I kind of, I'd kind of become my identity that's what she meant that uh -huh. it become my identity I was the girl who was mugged three times you know I could I could top anybody else's trauma you know like if, if people were talking about some terrible thing that happened to my all I had to say was well my neck was broken or my skull was fractured and like they go oh you know right. <laughs> and I could be the center of attention you know it's like I could have gotten a gold medal for England with um for like one-upmanship in a competitive tragedy and I was an expert at it and so after I kind of came out of this very dark period, I trained to be a counselor. I actually trained with Manchester Rape Crisis Center back in the early 80s, which I only found out recently. There was only two centers at that time. There was one in London and one in Manchester. And we take kind of, you know, women's health and women's safety for granted so much now, but that was only 30 years ago. And there was only two rape crisis centers in the whole of the country. So I was trained with them and we trained to learn how to answer the hotline for women calling in in crisis. I used to go to court with, with women. Um, we used to go and do talks for social workers and nurses and lawyers and, uh, and, and go to community centers and give talks to women. So that's where I kind of like broke my teeth as being a counselor and a coach. And ever since then, I've been working with people alongside having this Hollywood career. So I um, after I got well, and I started to, um, I, I lost my fear of, of like going outside and, and being back in the world. Um, I started working um, in the theater and then, and then in Hollywood and I did special effects. Um, I specifically did animatronics and I know if your audience have heard of Jim Henson and Muppets and- Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I grew up right. on the Muppets. <laughs> right. So, so I was always freelance, but I worked mainly for, for Henson's and, but never on the, the Muppet stuff is done in New York. What I did was um, creature effects. We did it in London and then Los Angeles. Whereas if a movie had a real animal in it and the animal has to talk or get run over or do things that animals can't normally do, we'd make a copy of exactly that animal and they'd cut from the real animal to my puppet and you won't know the difference. So that was a speciality I, I kind of got kind of got into and I ended up with this 20 year career in Hollywood doing all these amazing movies, um, flying around the world and working with like really amazing famous people. And so I carried on coaching um, people in between because we'd have, you know, I could have two or three months off in between movies. So rather than just sit there and, you know, watch Oprah every afternoon, I would go to the you know, local boys and girls club or whatever and offer, you know, help and, and volunteer at different organizations and kept up the coaching and the counseling work. Um, and then as a result of those, 
injuries that I had from all those muggings, I had chronic pain for probably 25 years. I would have these episodes of um, like terrible, terrible back pain. My, my, the muscles in my back would start to squeeze up and then, then my pelvis would start to shift and then I'd get sciatica pain shooting down my legs. I was paralyzed probably two or three times, completely paralyzed, couldn't move my body from my chest down, which is absolutely terrifying because, I mean, it's one thing, um, like I now, now I know it was temporary, but at the time you don't know it's temporary, you know, I'm being rushed off to the hospital. And, uh, and so living with these kind of episodes on a regular basis, um, you know, terrible numbness in my arms sometimes, and, uh, and all this pain in my, in my lower back and my body. I also had eczema and IBS and, and all kinds of different physiological illnesses, which at the time I never knew were connected to stress. I just thought it was something I was having to deal with. Um, and then about six years ago, I came across um, a new understanding of how, of psychology, of how the mind works. And I was so taken with this that I went to London to do some training. And because there was an expense of the course, there was expense of traveling. You know, when I was there, I wasn't working here. So I needed to save money. And I'd been going to the chiropractor every month for 25 years because to deal with all this pain and to try and keep it under control. And I needed to save money. So I thought, you know, what? I haven't felt any pain in a little bit. So maybe I'll cut out the chiropractor. And I did a six month course to become this three principles practitioner. And I noticed at the end of it, my pain had gone away. And so I got curious about like, why did my pain go away? And that's what the second book about is about. It's called Painless and it's about uh, Deborah, the same character, how she then finds out that her, her pain is connected to all the stress. And even though the PTSD had kind of, um, kind of subsided a lot, what I realize now is the hypervigilance that I, I originally had like out here with my environment kind of turned inward and I was getting hypervigilant about my thinking because all that self-help work I did and all the, you know, it, it seemed very virtuous at the time, but really what it was doing was it was taking that, that vigilance part of my PTSD and turning it in on myself. Like, don't think that, don't go there. That's too dark. Don't right. think negative, you know? And so all that think positive kind of work as though it seemed like a good idea at the time, it was really keeping my nervous system revved up. Um, and, and I think, and I know now that's where my, all the chronic pain was coming from. So as my thinking slowed down and I started to understand how experience really works, that we're always feeling our thinking and that thought is fluid and it moves and, and I don't actually have to do anything to it to control it. It just moves on by. Then my nervous system got a break after 25 years and, and my pain went away. So that's what the second book is about. It's about how the mind body connection and how when we understand when we're not frightened of our own experiences, then we don't have to be in, in so much physical pain. I, I am truly fascinated by the three principles. Uh, what did you call it again? I think I wrote it down. Three principles practitioner. That's what you are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Is that what it's called? Three. Well, the three principles are, um, so it's a new paradigm in psychology and I, I was so taken with it because it's not a technique. It's not a method. Okay. Okay. They are principles. Now, just to give you a little background, um, William James, who's regarded as the great grandfather of American modern psychology, 
he wrote a hundred years ago that he saw that all sciences have principles like uh, gravity is a principle you know aerodynamics are principles like even art has principles you know things far away look small things close up you know look big you know there, there's principles and if you look up the word principles in the uh, dictionary it will say something like facts that are true throughout the world right you could have an opinion about it but it's still true right it, and, and it's reliable a reliable fact so William James wrote that he believed that psychology had principles, he just didn't know what they were yet. He hadn't quite worked it out. Fast, <clears throat> fast forward 70 years, and a man called Sidney Banks, who was a, a Scottish man who ended up in Vancouver, he had some kind of enlightenment experience, I can go into it if you like, but he, he, he saw through the illusion of thought. He saw that we were always feeling our thinking, that we live in a thought-created world. So the three principles he came up with, he identified were thought, consciousness, and what he called mind. And so with those three principles, you can understand all psychological functioning. So the principles are not a prescription of how to deal with life, like most therapies are, you know, from... NLP, CBT, DBT, Freudian analysis, EMDR, EFT, you name it. There's a whole alphabet soup of, of therapies out there, right? I hear of a new one every week. The principles are different in it, that they are the basic ingredients of how all those therapies work. So if, you under, if you've got the basic ingredients, you don't need to do all that busy work or that busy stuff that was keeping my nervous system, you know, revved up all the time. So rather than being a prescription, it's more of a description. Gotcha. It's a description of how of how human experience works. And when you know how something works, you don't have to be frightened by it. Exactly. Exactly. Now that's <laughs> that is fascinating. And it's the first time I've heard of it that and also explain if I have heard of it, I haven't heard it explained <clears throat> that way. So that thank you for that explanation. I, mm -hmm. I find that type of thing fascinating, actually. I like to delve into things like that myself and learn a little bit more about you know, the mind and the consciousness. And I completely understand and agree that when you have all of your thoughts that are just swirling around, I call it a swirl and you internalize them. It definitely, definitely has an effect on your body, stress and anxiety and holding it in. Cause I too had, um, that process where for years and years I held it in and it, it took a major toll on my body with all of the things that you listed and then some, um, mm -hmm. and, you know, including sleeplessness and, you know, anxiety mm -hmm. and uh, not, not being hungry, not eating well when I did eat, loss yeah. of weight, you know, um, stomach issues, headaches, you name it. Mm -hmm. And then when, when you find out that it's stress and anxiety that you're bottling up, that's actually doing that to your body, you, that's an eye opener. <laughs> that's, definitely an eye-opener and mm -hmm. once you notice that you can figure out the best way for you to take care of it and to deal with it and to, to tackle it head-on um thank you for that explanation of that i i just i do i find that stuff truly fascinating now the first the name of your first book that you spoke about it is called mm -hmm. the myth of low self-esteem a novel about trauma Hollywood and healing. And the second book you mentioned is called Painless, a novel about chronic pain and the mind-body connection. And both of those books, folks, that are all listening in, they are both available on Amazon. And 
when this is when this uh podcast is uploaded. All of the information and links will be available for you. So you'll be able to look down below this post in the comments and be able to hop on Amazon and get your own copies. I think, and I like how you had mentioned, and I just briefly caught it, that the second book is a continuation of your character from the first book, correct? Yeah. Um, it does stand alone. I think you could read it on its own, but I think it, it is Deborah continues because she she gets curious about why her pain has gone away, that pain that came from the all the trauma that happened in the first book. So she goes back to Australia, which is where she was when she um, found out that her neck was broken. And she finds the um, chiropractor who was, was a real person, but I, I now fictionalized him into becoming a pain researcher. And so together they start to research this mind-body connection. And so I chose... Um, about 15 different physical things, like you mentioned, sleeplessness, migraines. There's so many different problems, fertility problems. There's so many things that happen when we're constantly in stress. And I learned a lot about this when I was training as a trauma counselor. Um, so in the book, in the second book, um, there's a client in, in her research that kind of has each of those different phys physiological issues so that they can then go through them and see how they are all connected to thought and how when we get caught up in our thinking, you know, it keeps the nervous system dysregulated and then that can affect everything from digestion to, to muscle spasms to, to migraines. And, and once she's, she starts explaining to all these clients that are in, in this pain research that, that we're feeling our thinking that, and you don't actually have to do anything. I mean, that's the ma major message I think is that when I, when, I, when I first came around these ideas and I started saying to people, but you don't actually have to do anything. People kind of thought I was crazy because they're saying, well, then I'm just going to be a blob on the sofa. You're like, how is that? <laughs> so I said, no, no, it's not that you don't do anything. I, my life is very busy. But what I'm saying is you don't have to do anything with your thinking because it's fluid. Thought is moving the whole time. And, and I love what you said about swirling because I always use the example of a snow globe. You know, like if I keep shaking up this snow globe, that's what my head was like all the time, that thought storm. The thoughts are going round and round and round and round and round and round and round. But what, what do you do to get a snow globe to stop? You've Nothing. Got right. <laughs> you don't do anything, right? Look, it's already stopped. And, and you just have to let go. So when I, when I started learning that, I, I, I still have fearful thoughts. I can have crazy thoughts. I can have a funky thought. I can have a criminal thought. But if I don't have anything on it, then it can just move through my mind. I don't have to have a reaction. Therefore, my nervous system doesn't get the message I'm in danger. The hypervigilance and all that stuff doesn't get activated. And I can be in, in the, I can have, have a bad mood. I can get bad news. And it doesn't drown me like it used to because I'm, I'm, I'm not broken. I'm, I don't lack anything. And what I've, what I've learned and what I tell my clients is that you are happiness, you are courage, you are well-being. It just got covered up. It got covered up by all that stinky thinking, the pain, the, the trauma, the, the old ideas, the concepts you've been taught, all that stuff, all that schmutz has been put on top. And then with this understanding, it's falling away. And your innate well-being then comes to the surface. You don't have to go anywhere to find it. It is who you are. And, and so in those principles that I talked about, thought, you know, is this, this spiritual energy. I have no idea what I'm saying right now, but it's some kind of spiritual energy that goes through my mind. Consciousness is like those special effects that I was doing in Hollywood. 
consciousness is like the special effects department of my mind, which makes me makes things seem real that aren't. I don't know about you guys, but I've I've thought you know like a you know like a, 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 a I know a, a belt on the floor could be a snake. Oh my gosh, you know it's like. <laughs> Right, that's just special effects in my mind convincing me of things that are real that aren't. And mind is the intelligence of the universe. It's that spiritual loving intelligence that is already running the universe. It's always made, already making my heart beat and my, my lungs breathe. So if it can do that, it can take care of me. And, and so once I trusted in that, and I trusted that if I let go of my thinking, I'm gonna be okay, that, that God doesn't make garbage, that you are, you are pure beauty, wellness, beauty, courage, you, that's who you really are, then you can breathe and relax. And when I let go and I don't do anything with my thinking, wisdom, intuition, inspiration can come through. And I get ideas I would never have heard when I was caught up in all my busy, loud thinking. So I do plenty. <laughs> I'm writing books. And before Corona, I was traveling all over the world and speaking at conferences and, you know, and I love my life now. It's not, it's not defined by what happened to me in the past. And I think that's beautiful. And I, I, uh, I like how you said, cause I was taking notes as you were talking. I like how you said, and you, you didn't just say it, you, you, you declared it and said, I am not broken. Um, and a lot of folks who go through trauma and myself included in that beginning, time and like you said you had your dark period you do mm -hmm. feel broken you mm -hmm. do feel broken you'd feel at times like nothing or less than nothing when you're in that dark spot mm -hmm. to, to let that stuff flow off of you um, and like when I had said swirl, I love your visual that you and folks, her and I are looking at each other via Zoom right now and she held up a snow globe and shook it. I love that visual of the snow globe. I'm a very visual person and having pictures like that in my head to see a snow globe that now just solidifies what my swirl is, you know, when you <laughs> right. but how you said you just, you, you know, what happens when you're no longer shaking the snow globe, it settles. It's, yeah. You no, know, it's not swirling anymore. And how everything is so fluid. Your thoughts are fluid and you can let them flow through. You don't have to let them come into you and stay and then continue, you know, start that swirl up again in your head. That yeah. just, I am loving talking <laughs> to you. This is fascinating stuff. I love, love hearing folks that have had experiences such as yours and you're out the other end of it very even stronger than probably you were prior to that um mm -hmm. and i like how you declared i am not broken and i think that's a big message that we want to make sure our listeners get because there's a lot of folks that may be listening or will listen in the future that feel broken right now and mm -hmm yourself you just said it and i'm saying it myself you're not broken but you're a work in progress you know you're a work in progress you're not broken and you're not unworthy there's nothing ugly about you and like you said god doesn't make garbage he doesn't we are all masterpieces in his eyes and mm -hmm. So whoever may be listening to this, I'm feeling very strongly led to say this right now. So whoever may be listening, whenever you're listening, if you feel like you are broken or you're not worth anything or you're sitting in a dark spot, you're not broken. You are worthy and you are beautiful and you will, will get through this. 
Sometimes you have to reach out for help. And if you need to do that, do that. Don't sit there by yourself. Don't wallow in darkness on your own because you don't need to. There are people out there to help you. Just like Hannah here, she said, what did you had said? I loved how you said earlier that you, um, you would vote in between uh, movies and stuff that you were working on, you would volunteer and provide counseling to younger folks. Yeah, all, all kinds of people. Um, like I'd, I'd work at the, or volunteer at the local boys and girls, you know, um, club helping with homework and stuff like that. But, but I also worked with a lot of people with addictions and, and uh, you know, food problems, drug problems. I mean, I lived, I was living in Los Angeles on the beach. There was plenty of people, you know, <laughs> who, were, who were, you know, either in a, some program or needed to be in one. And, um, you know, because <laughs> LA is the kind of place that, you know, people get drawn to thinking that, you know, fame and fortune is going to fix it. And I, I, um, I, I was very lucky that I was at the top of my career. I mean, we got an Academy Award for, for the second movie I worked on. So I was kind of catapulted to the top of, of, of my kind of little world of puppets. And, I have um, to jump in. What movie yeah. was that? Um, Babe. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how exciting. I'm talking to an Academy Award winner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, it, but the first movie I worked on was the first Flintstones movie with, um, like, Spielberg was the producer, John Goodman, um, Halle yeah. Berry, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor was in it. That was my first movie was with Spielberg and Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> wow. So, um, you know, and that was only 18 months after, no, maybe two years after my the third mugging that I had. And after that third mugging, I was terrified to leave the house because I was so caught up in my thinking. I knew the world was a dangerous place. I knew that if I left my house, something bad was going to happen because I had evidence. I had police reports and x-rays to prove it. You couldn't have convinced me otherwise. And so all that happened was that my, my thinking shifted. When that woman started saying to me, you're not that story, you're, you're, that's not who you are. And I was able to like go out my door and I started working in the theater again and it and one job led to the next next and then suddenly I'm working on a movie. And I was hired to make the creatures Dino and all the, the dinosaur monsters, you know, we, we built all those things in London and my boss and, and the main crew went off to LA to film and then the the company was awarded babe so they had to bring all the experienced people back and my, my boss said to me okay pack your bags you're going to los angeles you're going to supervise all the creatures on flintstones for the next three months of filming um get your passport and i'm like what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and i remember standing at the at the, at the airport at heathrow i was terrified because i was about to get on an airplane and go and work with all these amazing famous people people who just come off jurassic park and like they were, they were all these guys have been doing this for 30 years and, and part of me was this terrified little girl who just, you know, had only months earlier been terrified to leave her house. But because, and, and all I could say to people is like people, they say to me, where did you find the courage? Where did you find the courage to do these things? And that, com that, that question used to confuse me because when you ask someone where, that implies a place. So where is this courage? Is it in my heart? Is it in my head? Is it in my legs? I, like, where is it? And what I started realizing more and more that courage, it's not, it's not even my thought slowing down. It's an absence of thought. It's, it's, a, it's a place, we all have it, that's safe 
and quiet and it's behind the thought. Like we all have that quiet mind. It's there all the time. It's just, I forget. And I, cause I get caught up in my thinking. And I remember standing there in line at the airport going, oh my gosh, what if I can't do this? What if the, I don't know where, I can't drive a car on the other side of the road. Oh my gosh, what if I can't find the, the studio? What if I don't know where the hotel is? What if I lost my passport? And I was like, oh my, you know, like, ah! <laughs> you know, panic attack, you know, standing in line at, 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 the, at the check-in desk. And I was able to stop. I heard the craziness in my head and stop and fall back into that quiet mind. We all have it all the time. I've been able to do it when I've been in physical pain, when I've been in panic, like in, in situations with work or, or relationships or money. When we get caught up in our thinking, it's like we've fallen for the illusion. And the like, like I said about the special effects department in my mind can create incredible illusions. Like when I was terrified to leave the house. Well. I had facts, I had, I had, like I said, police reports, but all it took was a shift in my thinking to see that I can leave the house and incredible things can happen when I trust and when I believe that I'm gonna be okay. And so that mind, that, that intelligence that's running the universe that is always taking care of me, got me on the plane, got me there. I, I, I worked in that first movie, then, then we went on to do Babe. We went to Australia to film that, which is where I found out that my neck was broken. Um, but but we, you know, we, we got an Academy Award for that, for my second movie, which then, you know, I moved to Los Angeles after that and that put me at the top and, and people were, you know, I was hired. The next movie I worked on was, um, was called Michael with John Travolta. I, uh, I, I loved that movie. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in that one for about two seconds. If you blink, you'll miss me. But there's a courtroom scene and I had to like, I had to flutter my eyelashes at John Travolta, which is not difficult. He has the most blue eyes you've ever seen. <laughs> and he's the sweetest man. And I actually got to dance with him, which was a thrill of a lifetime. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like here I am dancing with John Travolta in a field in Texas at two o'clock in the morning. How does that happen? <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah, I am not broken. I, I've had like, you know, I just, I just believed I stopped believing my thinking. See, that, that's the thing I, I, I always try and share with my clients. It's not that the thinking, like controlling my thinking is not the answer because that's gonna rev up the nervous system again. That's more busy work. That's gonna create more thinking. The more I can step back and live in that quiet place and observe the thinking and observe it going by, then I don't actually have to do anything. And so when a thought comes along, like a ticker tape, you know, like on CNN, you know, when the information is going along the bottom of the screen, there might come a really sticky thought, like a, a painful memory or a what if about the future, or maybe I'm not good enough or what, you know, we all have those kind of thoughts. It's not that the thought is the problem. The problem is when I listen to it. Right. We all we're human. We all have weird and wacky thoughts sometimes. The, the, the difficulty comes is when I listen to them and then I believe them and then I act on them. So I can still have funky thoughts. I can still have a sad thought or a crazy thought. And, and then that can turn into overwhelm and then it turns into anxiety and then it turns into panic attacks and then it turns into back pain and, and like all the things we talked about. But if I can see that I'm not those thoughts, that I don't have to do anything about them, and I love the title of your podcast, like that, like the bounce thing, because I can, I can bounce back from that. You know, I don't have to believe it. And, and then 
I can just be me and sometimes I get caught up in it and I and I catch myself like oh my gosh it's just my thinking I just fell for a whole bunch of thinking right there <laughs> snap out of it it pops like one of those you know kids um bubbles and uh and I'm back to being me in the moment again it's it's amazing it's an amazing once you understand it and you see through the illusion of it it's it's such a beautiful place to live from and it's and I love how you explained it you explained it very easy for you know me to understand um and and, and you did it in wonderful layman's term mm. so anyone listening can understand and it's certainly it's certainly a process for a lot of people and and it's something that's that you need to learn obviously it's not something you just say oh i'm going to do that today and all as well um i'm sure it's a learning process it's something you have to get yourself used to and put into practice you have to practice it to get better at it. But I, I still love the whole, how you said our thoughts are fluid. Cause I've got um, a couple pictures in my head from that of like a gentle breeze blowing through tree leaves and um, just softly and gently mm. causing that, you know, that citharism is the sound that leaves make when wind blows through. Right. And I love Cloud, that. Clouds is one of the, the, the analogies I use often with people is, is thoughts are like clouds. They're just passing through the sky. The sky is not offended by them. Clouds don't need my permission, my encouragement, my, my an analysis to, to pass on by. They just move. Birds, airplanes, it's just passing through the sky and the sun is always there, you know? Yeah. So yeah. whether it's a ticker tape on a CNN news show, a cloud, traffic, some if, if I can start seeing that thought is flowing, fluid, always moving, then any kind of technique like, you know, like I, I don't want to, if, if someone has a technique that works for them, like journaling or, you know, like writing, meditating, yoga, whatever, if it works, fantastic. But once you start seeing, when you step back and see that thought is moving, so I don't actually have to deal with it, it's already gone. A memory is only a thought brought into the moment and then it's gone. You know, it, it, I, I was reading some uh, research just before we got on the show about how an emotion takes something like a minute and a half to pass through your body. If it hangs around longer, it's because I'm thinking more about it. Huh. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. Takes a minute you, to go through. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. And I, I do like that. And as you said, anyone who does journaling or whatever other type of, you know, form that they use, wonderful. You're certainly not taking away from that. I'm a very visual person. Um, like you, I think. And I like, you know, how you were saying, you know, traffic and clouds and birds in the sky, the stuff that's moving and, and like the air through the trees, that a breeze through the trees mm -hmm. or a river. That's the first two things that pop in my head. So, mm -hmm. you know, whatever works for you, I guess, in visualizing yeah. that. And it's, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but those, at least like the clouds and the river and, and a breeze, that's a gentle movement. Our thoughts are not always gentle. They're not always gently moving. They might just come slamming in. What is a piece of advice that you give to someone that they're working? They are seriously working on letting these things flow through, you know, keeping things fluid. But we all have our days and we all have our moments where something will come in and it's just going to slam into a wall. What's a, a, a piece of advice that you could give to someone to get that thought moving, to get it, get it being fluid again? Well, it never isn't fluid, <clears throat> but what I would just, I would say anxiety or a panic attack is really speeded up thinking. 
it's like it's still moving but it's gotten very fast and it might even have turned red you know and my you know and it's kind of jumping all over the place but it's still it's still moving because that's the nature of thought it never is never not moving so the and we we all can have a panic i have a client right now who's going through a divorce and she just found out some really horrific information about her ex and and you know and it's you know and, and custody problems and stuff and you know she keeps saying to me but this is real you can't tell me that's thinking it's real i've got to deal with the lawyers in 10 minutes you know and so one of the things i was trained when as a trauma counselor is is breathing because when you get really caught up into a panic like that we don't breathe properly and when you're not breathing properly you're not getting enough oxygen to your to your brain to your muscles and that just escalates everything into into even worse thing so if someone really is in a panic the first thing i do with them is breathe with them you know count to four hold it in count to four let it out just to get just to start to get the system to slow down again and then like the snow globe idea that once it starts to slow down if you can see movement meaning it's movement in this it's beginning to become slower then you know then you can see that it can continue that way because if you if you ask anybody who's had a panic attack and what were they doing beforehand like if panic attack was at the end of the movie if you were to turn the movie backwards before the panic attack i bet you that there was some distress thinking before the panic attack and before the distress thinking there was probably some um overthinking and before the overthinking there was probably some unresolved fear guilt resentment something that, that wasn't dealt with properly and before that <clears throat> they were probably just going along doing their thing now as you go forward this way this direction now you can see the chain reaction of it getting worse and worse and worse and i always think of that like you like you i i do like my visuals and my analogies so i always think of it like uh you know like the slalom in the ski competitions in the olympics mm -hmm. you know they go they're skiing down a ski slope and they're going around those red flags well, there's, we, we get red flags all the time. Like, I believe we're sent red flags. Pain is a, is like the ultimate red flag. It's like a, it's like a fire alarm, you know, like, and, but what I know now is I, it doesn't have to get that bad. So if I'm, I, I rarely have a bad day anymore because I don't, I'm, I've turned into a wuss. I don't like feeling uncomfortable anymore. You know, like I lived in a bad mood. You know, all that PTSD was just one big bad mood and my body was having a bad mood, you know. So now it's like if I get, you know, into one of those kind of swirls, I'm like, okay, slow down, breathe and, and just recognize I, I innocently got caught up in my thinking. And this is what my, my teacher, who's been a psychiatrist for 50 years, he, he stresses the word innocently all the time. We innocently get caught up in stuff. And when you're in something difficult, like a divorce or financial, you know, problems, it's human to get upset. I, I'd be nervous if you weren't upset, you know? And so what I would say to someone is like, cry, let it out, be a human, it's okay. And, and what I've learned now is that there's, that there's a time for that and then it passes. Like storms always pass. Whereas when I was in the, my depths of my darkness, I didn't know the difference between sadness and self-pity. And I would just dive off the cliff into self-pity <laughs> drowning again, you know. And now I, I, I know when, because it feels, that's, that's the other thing I would say to people. You'll know when, when you're heading on, like down into some, some darkness is because it, it has a feeling. Yep. Negative thinking, anxious thinking, it feels heavy. It feels tight. 
it, you, you can like see my, my shoulders just went up when I'm trying to describe it. Right. It has a, a like a constrictedness to it. So I I've even got now pretty sensitive with like if I feel tight and constricted or slow or heavy, I know my thinking's probably not at its best. And so rather than panicking or fixing or trying to do something about it, I just know it's going to pass. I just know it's going to pass. Whatever it is, it's going to pass. And, and just with that, recognize that recognizing and that, um, that relaxing and going back to that quiet mind, like um, this is another visual I like it, which is a cork in water. You know, if you put a cork in a glass of water, you have to put your finger on to hold it down. But once you let go, pop, we, it's, and that's resilience. We all have resilience. It's another innate quality that we're all um, built with. It's our like factory default setting is resilience and courage and wisdom. And so once I, step out of the illusion of that thinking that was heavy and holding me down. As a human being, you just naturally pop back up. Like little kids are brilliant at it. You know, like how little kids, like one minute they're screaming and like, you know, pounding on the floor because they didn't get their candy or their sibling ran off with a toy. And then five minutes later, it's like it never happened, <laughs> you know? And we still all have that, but as adults, we forget. We just forget, you know, but you, we all have it and, and it's, like um, Sidney Banks, who put these ideas together, he said, well, everybody is one thought away from good mental health. Oh, that's, I love that. Right, so I don't actually believe it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. Practice would just be more thinking. Now it might take some more insights and some deeper understanding for sure, but we are all, even people sitting in a mental hospital are one thought away from good mental health. And I've seen it with my clients and my teachers who are doctors and psychiatrists who've been dealing with this for many years have seen it with their clients and patients that you can actually have a shift and a turnaround from some severe diagnoses and survive, be okay. Because like you said, we are not broken. We're not garbage. We just got innocently got caught up in some really stinky thinking sometimes. And that's, you know, life and being a human, but it's an innocent, misunderstanding and once like my job as a practitioner is always to keep pointing my clients back to their own well-being keep pointing them back to that's who they really are that's my job i have been truly fascinated by everything that you've that you've talked about and your wealth of information and we could probably sit here and talk for three more hours <laughs> And I would love to actually, because there's so much there. I've got so many questions and things, um, but I, 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 we do need to wrap it up here. I want to ask you one quick tip that you can give to our listeners, just one quick tip that they can take away with them today and, and use if they find themselves in those swirling thoughts or in a dark spot right now. I... Um, that, that's hard. <laughs> I would, I, I would say, I, I know from my, like, maybe what I said about the feeling when I, I know for myself when it feels heavy and it, or, or another thing I notice is urgency. Like if I get a sense of urgency, like I've got to send that email right now. I've got, if I don't say something, they're going to get away with it. You know, that urgency is also coming from low thinking. It's coming from a consciousness that's like heading down to the basement. And so I've learned now to like, you know, zip my lip. Um, put, sit on my hands, you know, and just just know that it's going to pass. And if there's something you're supposed to say or something you're supposed to do, and it's the right thing, then it will wait for five minutes or or tomorrow, and it'll still be the right thing to do or the right thing to say, you know. So um, I think knowing that it's going to pass, uh, all storms pass. 
Just think of third grade when you learn about weather. What we learn is that storms pass. Whatever's going on with you will pass. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being my guest on Let Fear Bounce. This has been amazing. I've learned quite a few little new tips here and new analogies and visuals now that I can use myself because that's that's what works best for me. Um, but thank you again. And goodness, I would love to have you on again sometime. Um, oh, quick question. When were your books released? Um, the first one, The Myth of Low Self-Esteem, was actually two years ago in January this month. And Painless just came out in the just before the holidays. So um, it was came out about three weeks ago. So it's oh, brand wonderful. new. Well, congratulations on that. Yeah. You have yeah, written thoughts, in, lo in lockdown. <laughs> Do you have thoughts right. for a third book? Yes. And four and five and six and seven. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the next book is going to be about hormones. Oh, fabulous. No, you're going, you're going right in a nice little row here with your books. They're all black. Yeah. Well, because 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 people are suffering so much from all these different things. And I'm weird that I love reading research books, but not everybody does. So my idea is if putting these this all this amazing information into stories, into fiction with characters who do the struggling and the searching and the exploring and the discovering. And so my next book, um, Deborah's going to become a minor character and, and a, a new characters are going to come in women with um, all different like men menopause. Um, postpartum depression, you know, monthly like PMS, all the kind of hormone, hormonal roller coasters that we go on. And so there's going to be characters and learning and, and uh, they're, they're going to have a, a good time and, and find some peace and, and well-being in that too. So well, I, I am looking forward to getting the first two books <laughs> and then I'm really looking forward to this this third one when you when you get that done. <clears throat> so I would love to have you on again sometime to talk more about your books and your upcoming book. If you, if you're open to doing that in a few months, yeah. love to have you. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for being on Let Fear Bounce and thank you all for tuning in and we will talk to you and see you soon. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Hannah. Bye.